Thanks for joining us and supporting Vikido Fitness. We ask for your continued support by becoming an It's All About Health and Fitness premium member. Go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join. Again, that's www.vikidofitness.com forward slash join and register for a $6 monthly subscription. And remember, keep listening, sharing, and checking us out. The views and opinions expressed are for general informational purposes only. Consult with your physician or medical health care provider for medical advice, diagnosis, and or treatment. Today, we talk about research articles and hot topics. Our topic is, what's new? Hot topics number 57. Could certain carbs keep you tossing and turning at night? Health experts push urgently for folks to get their flu shots. The latest studies have shown that obesity raises the risk of death from COVID-19 among men. All this and more on It's All About Health and Fitness. Welcome to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. This program is brought to you by Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum. Now, here's your host, Vicki Doe and D. Banks-Bright. I'm Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe, and with me is the one and only Dr. Virginia D. Banks-Bright. Hello, Vicki Doe. How are you? I am fine. Nate wanted us to tell people that we are social distancing and you are doing the show remotely he said that's what i should tell people yeah <laughs> yeah yeah so we, we are we are still doing that and we are staying safe we are staying safe and today we talk about hot topics and research articles that we think are worth looking at and talking about and our topic today is what's new hot topics number 57 and yes, we are about to start back to school and we are still in this corona virus epidemic. And some of you have already started back, whether face to face or remote. But we here at Vikido Fitness, we just want to stress that you take a pause and know that it may be stressful, but we are all in this thing together. And some things that we may not be able to control whether somebody breathing on us or not. Uh, <laughs> but what we can do is to follow the necessary precautions as best as we can, which are to wear our face masks, uh, social distance as much as we can, and wash our hands. And also, let's give a shout out and support to all of our teachers and staff that are going back or, you know, trying to provide the best type of educational experience in spite of the tremendous limitations that we are facing right now. And so the saying is, this too shall pass, right? I hope, we hope. Yes, and kudos to all the teachers and not just the teachers. We have to remember the administrative staff and those people that are involved in environmental services every day in those schools. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then in the hospitals and stuff, too. We 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 um, sometimes forget. Right. Don't you think we sometimes forget? Like we said, let's give a shout out to our teachers and staff and let's all at least focus on being safe and well. So what do you say again, D? Absolutely. And not just in the schools, not just the teachers, but you know, as we said, the administrative staff and then the environmental services people, not only in the schools, but in the hospitals, we forget that these are the people that keep us going. If we didn't have people to make sure that our floors were immaculate and our walls and railings and cleaning the bathrooms and doing all those kinds of things to make it so that we're safe, you know, they, they sometimes are at greater risk than we do trying to, you know, take waste and stuff out of the hospital, out of the school. So definitely kudos to them. Yes, kudos to them. 
Now, everyone, make sure you subscribe to this podcast show. It's all about health and fitness, Vicky Doe Fitness on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and any other place that you listen to your podcast. You will be notified when we post new podcasts and you will be the first to know. And yes, we are still in this pandemic and we have made changes. Like I said before, Dr. D is joining us remotely, but we are back and we are scheduling great guests to join us in talking about important topics and concerns that affect our health and well-being and our communities. So make sure that you subscribe to this show right now. Also, go check out our website, www.vickidofitness.com and sign up for our newsletter email list to receive health tips and updates on what we are doing here at Vikido Fitness. Now we have transitioned our programs to be conducted online. Right now we have launched our step-by-step weight loss bootcamp masterclass program and this is a 12-week comprehensive weight loss program. We are hosting now Right now, a free health wellness webinars. We're doing webinars and workshops as well. One right now that you can enroll in is the Get Back to Healthy Living free three-part series health and wellness webinar training. Now, this webinar training is so good. I am teaching each lecture and I discuss and focus on how we can get back to healthy living by recharging and restoring our healthy living habits and goals. It is listed as a course in our Vikido Fitness Academy. And the name of this free webinar training course is Get Back to Healthy Living. So enroll now, folks, so that you can start transforming your life. You know, the end of this year is almost here now. Why don't you get a jump start right now and go and check out this free webinar training course, Get Back to Healthy Living. And to find out more about all of our online Vicido Fitness Health Fitness training, go to www.vikidofitness.com forward slash training. And so I can't wait to introduce you to all of our great programs. So make sure you go and check it out. And what do you have to say, Dee? As always, we want to thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. Thank you, everyone, for your support. Well, Dee, yep, like we were talking before, you know, we started taping, you know, yeah. I'm going to be back in the trenches teaching again. At oh, my goodness. I don't, you know, I, I'm like, what are you going to do? I know, with all this stuff going on, right? Yes, you know, all, every day the conversation is what the I just left a, was listening to CNN while I was at the hospital coming on talking about all these college campuses that some of them have only been open for two weeks and they've made the kids go back home for and you know this this the problem is that this just disrupts the parents' lives and everybody else. You know what I mean? I know because they got to move people uh, back. Uh, yeah, a friend of mine. It just it took them. He said, she said three hours to move their daughter into the dorm with all the little stuff. And the thought that you might have to go up there and pull that stuff out and bring them back home till the beginning of January, it's a nightmare. I know. But we shall it's see. It's a nightmare. I was reading one school said they were not going to allow any any break and everybody had to stay on campus. No, you know, like, you know, when you were at school, you might want to take a weekend and go down to OU or go to Akron U or something like that. no. No passes to go anywhere. You have to stay on campus. You know, some people probably not going to follow those rules. We hope so. We hope so, but most of them aren't. We were, like I said, I was young once. I understand what it was like being in college. And, you know, who want who? That's the last place you want to be isolated. I know. So I don't know what what they're going to do. I hope things work out. That's all I say because you know. I do too. I do too. If and if people would just do. Three simple things, social distance, wash your hands, and wear your mask. We're not asking too much. That's it. Hopefully people will take heed, you know. That's it. We got to be safe, really. That's it at the end of the day. Hopefully. So how was your week, Dee? Uh, You know what? Didn't do very much. Just chill, 
you know, try to get a little bit of reading in. I got a little bit of a health scare. You know, we're all into health and wellness, and I went and got my cholesterol stuff done. My cholesterol is 213, well, it's 211, but anything over 100 is still elevated. And and shockingly, for the first time that I can ever remember, my LDL was a little elevated. My HDL was okay, but my LDL is a little elevated, which again, you know, you're not supposed, which is associated with coronary artery disease as well. So I just said, mm, COVID-15, COVID-19, <laughs> COVID maybe it's time. Well, I mean, I have been on a diet. I've been on a, not a diet, lifestyle change, getting back to healthier eating. But I said, I might want to rethink plant-based for a, t- a while yes. to get back on track. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, maybe a little bit of, you know, not not become excessive with it or anything like that, but go back to a more plant-based cuisine. Yes, I think so. Yeah, I've been trying to watch mine because it can get away from you sometime. You have no idea because everything is silent. It's not like bells are ringing when your LDL gets elevated or your cholesterol gets elevated. No bells and whistles. And like the, the nephrologists tell us, like your honey sweet Dr. Doe, Hypertension is a silent killer, you know, mm-hmm. not until your blood pressures are all out of whack and it's now done damage to your kidneys. Do you get any signs and symptoms? It's just very insidious. It's just slow moving. So that's why they encourage to be proactive and continue to get follow ups and check your blood and check your own blood pressure. I say, you know, yes. I think they're going to be a lot more of these in home kind of things for people. I'm hoping. Yes. Yes. We always say that here. Be proactive. Part of it, too, and that's what I'm trying to take a deep breath every morning. I say, you know, I'm not going to jump out the bed running to do. I'm taking a deep breath, and I'm trying to practice, you know, chilling and not being so stressed out. That's my that's my cue. Yeah. Because yeah. stress, exactly. can, stress can up everything, up all your levels. <laughs> And my doctor said I had a colonoscopy and an EGD Monday. I have a little bit of gastritis. And the first thing she said to me was, are you under any stress? You think? (laughs) (laughs) You think? Uh, Stress? Uh, Yeah. So she uh, prescribed for me a PPE, but you're just thinking to yourself, oh, here we go. Here we go. But you're right. Stress can be the root of all evils, your blood pressure, your cholesterol, everything, because it shoots out that adrenaline, those hormones that affect all bodily systems, right? You're the one that's the physiologist. Yeah. And so we, I'm going to talk about a few things about our sleep. You know, you can tell when you're stressing out, you can't sleep. And, and a lot of it has to deal with your, your, your stress, but also what you eat. Yeah, all of, all of the things that right. we do kind of affects us but yeah stress man it can wreak havoc yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so that's my thing I'm trying to make sure that I take a deep breath and don't get stressed out you know it like they say it is what it is (laughs) it is (laughs) it is what it is is what it is okay there, had, it is. there it is i it had is to i had to add that on <laughs> oh my goodness i fell out laughing oh boy well what is going on this week everything vicky everything <laughs> well look Where my damn mail <laughs> That's it. Where, where my mail at? Shoot. I've been waiting for them bills. Oh, no, not. Were you aware that, I mean, I must have been under a rock. Were you aware that all this posted conversation was going on? Yes, it wasn't until, but the only reason why I became aware, because my mother kept asking me, did you get this mail? Because I was supposed to get a big packet from one of our friends. And I was like, uh, No. She said, well, she sent it to you about three weeks ago. I was like, three weeks ago? Really? Oh. And I finally got it. Then I really realized that when you know how you send your, your credit cards are, are sent to you when it's time to for its renewal. And so I looked right. down. Yeah, I looked down at my credit card 
And I was like, oh, shoot, it's supposed to be renewed. I'm supposed to have a new credit card uh-huh. in a minute. You know, uh-huh. I won't be able to use this because the expiration date. Uh-huh. So I called the credit card company and they were like, oh, you were supposed to receive your credit card, your new one in July. Hey. Yeah, in July. And hey. I was like, um, July. Isn't that something? So I took care of it. I called and they said, okay, we're just going to, we're going to special, you know, send it to you next day. That is something a lot of people are hurting because they got their checks coming in there. Some people got their, what, prescription drugs? I was just getting ready to say a lot of my veteran, a lot of my patients that are veterans and so forth, they get all their medications by mail. I guess the the latest is that the Postal Service, it says, this is by CNN, it says that the Postal Service backs down on changes as at least 20 states we're going to sue over potential mail delays ahead of the election. So it's getting it's getting something. <laughs> it's getting bad. I mean, you know, I was listening to, the, well, they have this new postmaster. And then I was listening to some other people, you know, talking about suing, suing these people because, you know, tampering with the mail and doing all kinds of shenanigans. And what, what was a shocker to me was I forget what, what I was doing on Sunday and picked up the paper and some people had done some photography of even in here in Youngstown and Warren removing the mailboxes, those little mailboxes that we rely on when we're trying to mail a package. I know. That's... That was a shocker. I'm like, what? Are you kidding me? A lot of people can't get to the post office. I know. It's it's something. You know, and stand in those doggone lines to get some stamps or whatever. And you just want to mail a pack, mail a package or something like that to drive all the way down and try to find parking and stuff like that. It's so much easier to put your stuff in a mailbox. I don't know what we're doing at this point, but they're supposed to. No, we don't. They're backing down on it. So they're saying that all the changes being made by the Postal Service will be suspended until after the November 3rd election. So we shall see. Uh-huh. We shall see. Mm-hmm. We shall see. The next thing is Kamala Harris, right? You know, yeah. She's a VP pick for Joe Biden, the Democratic ticket 2020, and she's a AKA Annaline. <laughs> she is. Yes. Howard University, the Bison. Yes, Howard University and CNN, they have like a little like a little fact sheet on her cuz she's the US senator from California now. But uh-huh. I was looking at their her little fact sheet here and I thought it was very interesting how that yeah, they got her education, she got her BA in political science and economics. And yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Wow. She went to the University of California Hastings College of the Law. Everybody was talking about her ethnicity. And yes, she is the first African-American first woman and first Asian-American to become the when she was a attorney general. And now she's the first for, you know, the VP. But yeah, she's a daughter of a Jamaican and Indian immigrants, both of them. And she is opening up the doors for the first, the first African-American woman to be, to be on the ticket to come on now. You know, everybody knows that the democratic convention is on tonight on this week and she's supposed to give her speech tonight, which I'm really looking forward to. I'm looking forward to it as well. Since she's the first, you know, yeah, she's the first, you know, what her platform is and those kinds of things. That's it. uh, It's just sad that here we are in 2020 still talking about the first of anything, but it is what it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> but it is. It is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> That's it. Speaking of which, Michelle Obama's uh, yeah. speech. Michelle Obama's speech at the DNC convention. It is what it is. She knocked it out of the park. She oh, knocked it out of the park, and she just went on and on, and then she said, it is what it is. <laughs> and it was that cute little look that she had, that little, yes. little cute, coquettish look, and then it was like, and it is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think that's when everybody Lord. they went okay. Oh, I think snap. that statement's gonna go far. It's the, I mean, it, you know, people have said it for a long time, but in this context, we'll be saying this up until beyond November. Yes, it is. It is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> That's exactly what we're going to do. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. But she's making a yeah. name for herself. But you know, the, uh, uh, Kamala Harris has quite a resume. I didn't really know all of this about her. She happens to be friends with my sister. She and her sister, Maya, they've been friends for a long time. But mm-hmm. Glenda was kind of with them uh, when she ran for president. Because remember, you know, this is not her first rodeo, which I'm thinking that maybe Vice President Biden picked her because she would be able to hit the ground running campaigning, having done it for so many months before she, you know, resigned running for the presidency. So she's she's got some mileage under her shoes doing this. And it's fresh. Yeah, big time. Big time. So it's it, we're just going to be excited just looking at all of this and see how it unfolds. Yes, absolutely. This well, I mean, there's going to be obviously books read on these this time for our history, and I'm I'm glad that our children. I'm trying to save. I I'm such a hoarder, but I'm trying to save a few clips for my grandchildren to be able to read about this these historical events when they grow up. You know, the first African-American woman to run for vice president and then to have the first African-American post-first lady to talk. You know, that was a first, too. I know. Yeah. You know, it's... To have Michelle Obama up there, they haven't had any black first ladies before, so that was a first. I know. And so her speech was very powerful and she's she's coming she's coming in her own, you know. She's she got her podcast show coming now. She's she has her book out, so she's making a name for herself. Right. Don't you think? She is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's coming out from under just that first wife shadow and coming back into her own. She's coming back into her own. That's it. The latest is did you hear about Tavis Smiley? Mm-hmm. He was ordered to. Pay- you know what? I saw that last week, and I didn't read it. What? Ha- what? As they said, what happened? <laughs> what had happened was <laughs> he was ordered. <laughs> he was ordered to pay <laughs> PBS two point six million dollars for workplace affairs. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. And so it says that the judge ordered the TV host, Tavis Smiley, to pay $2.6 million to the public broadcasting service for having multiple affairs with his subordinates. The jury awarded wow. PBS uh, $1.5 million, which included costs and underwriting revenue for the last two seasons for Smiley's talk wow. show. Yeah. Judge Yvonne Williams agreed to issuing a ruling on August the 5th awarding PBS 2.6 million and that includes 1.9 million in liquidated damages and the amount paid by PBS to Smiley's company. And so the TS media for the show's last two seasons that's going to be taken care of. That's that's I guess Smiley's company. I guess they're going to have to Tavis Smiley gonna have to cough up some money. Wow. Basically. That whole thing came out, right? About, you know Well I you know, I guess I thought it had died a natural death when I didn't hear any more of it. You know, it just kinda went up in the ground, back in the ground. You didn't hear any more from them talking about, you know, bringing him back out there, but I guess they were in court and everybody might have been muzzled. Huh. Well it is on now, and so well, he got to figure out how he going to pay that. That's a bunch of chump change. So, I mean, Tavis's show is not one of the best shows, I don't think, for advertisers to come in. I think that's one of the ways that you make your money, right, advertisers? Yes, and it wasn't, right? He didn't have all that. No, no, I don't think so, uh-uh. We shall see in here. We shall see. Everybody stay posted because, uh, like I said, I hadn't. I didn't realize that this thing was still going on, but yeah. Of course, you know, these lawsuits can go on for years and stuff, but Tavis has kind of gone underground. When was the last time you heard about Tavis doing anything? When he was accused of doing all that kind of craziness? Right, exactly. That was the last time. 
That was the last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, the, that was the last time. Well, at every show, we always try to have a um, health tip. And because of the weather, most folks, a lot of people are out bike riding. And so this health tip by the exercise and physical activity tips from the National Institute on Aging at NIH This is health tips for riding a bike. And so it says, looking for a fun way to exercise, riding a bike is a great choice. Follow these safety tips when you're out and about on your bike. Number one, always wear a helmet that fits correctly. Number two, wear bright clothing so that motorists can see you in low visibility conditions. Number three, Make sure the brakes are working properly and the tires are inflated to the correct pressure. Number four, ride your bicycle in the same direction as traffic, not against it. Number five, stop at all intersections before crossing the street. Number six, signal when you make turns. And last but not least, be careful near parked vehicles because someone might suddenly open their door. Folks, if you want to find out more and go over these health tips, these safety tips for your bike, make sure you go to the NIH Exercise and Physical Activity, the National Institute on Aging. All right. Stay safe. And I get it. I mean, and I understand how people want to go out. I was Looking at Facebook the other day, two of my colleagues who have retired have been biking from Cleveland up to like Ashtabula and that, you know, and you understand people are, but you've got to be, you got to be mindful of bike safety because what I find out too is that when I was walking, there are people that are just mean, they just want to, you know, mow you down or come as close as they can next to you without giving you your props and stuff, so on a bicycle, you have to be careful, and you also have to be careful and understand that a tree and a, and a car and a truck are much stronger than you on that bicycle. Definitely. And to please wear a helmet. I mean, I see all these bikers, motorcycle bikes, biker people and so forth. You have to walk in my shoes when they now are in a vegetative state that I take care of because they were, they were just one night of doing something stupid. I know. You know, one night of mixing alcohol with something stupid ends up in a major head injury where you're not going to wake up. So just everybody be careful. Wear your helmet. That was number one on your list. Wear your helmet. That's exactly it. Yeah. Dee, what's the latest, Dee? Well, you know, as a ball gets closer here, one of the things that we were afraid of, are afraid of, and it looks like it's going to come to fruition because we haven't fixed COVID, is that it was an article from the New York Times called Fearing a twin Twindemic. Health experts push urgently for flu shots. And so our thing is, as we talk to our colleagues, is that, you know, when they, when they get the coronavirus vaccine, we have a whole host of people that don't get the flu shot. Mm. So what are you going to, you know, what, what, what are you going to do with that? If people won't take the flu shot, how are you going to get people to take the other one? So as public health officials look to fall and winter, the spectrum of a new surge of COVID gives them chills. But there's a scenario they dread even more, a severe flu season result, resulting in a twin-demic. Even a mild flu season could stagger hospitals already coping with COVID-19 And though officials don't know yet what degree of severity to anticipate, they're worried large number of people's people could forego flu shots, increasing the risk of widespread outbreaks. I mean, because if we have another shelter in place, people are going to put off getting their health things done. Like I did when I went to go get my colon and EGD, it should have been done in March. I'm getting ready to have an eye exam, things that we put off because of shelter in place. I know. So the concern about a twin pandemic is so great that officials around the world are pushing the flu shot even before it comes becomes available. Said Dr. Robert Redfield, he is head of the CDC in Atlanta. CDC usually purchases 500,000 doses for uninsured adults, but this year they have ordered 9.3 million doses of influenza vaccines. So wow. there should be no excuse about you not taking it. But Dr. Fauci, director of the National Institute for Allergy and Infectious Diseases, has been imploring people to get their flu shot. 
so that you could at least blunt the effect of one of those two potential respiratory infections. Even in London, Boris Johnson has been waging a pro-flu shot campaign. And in April, one of the few reasons Australia allows citizens to break the country's strict lockdown was to venture out for their flu shot. The flu shot is rarely mandated in the United States, except like for where we work now, it's mandated in healthcare facilities and nursery school. But this month, the statewide University of California system announced that because of the pandemic, it's requiring all 230,000 employees and 280,000 students to get their flu vaccine by November the 1st. So if you have a a huge influx of influenza patients coming into the emergency room, Vicki, mm-hmm. yes. you're not going to be able to discern what's the difference, what, what signs are different between the flu, influenza, and COVID unless you get a test, and they're not always accurate. If they're really bad, which we know people do die of influenza, it's going to put a huge strain on our medical system, mm-hmm. not only from doctors, but from the PPEs and medicines and so forth. So with many places where the flu shot is administered en masse, now inaccessible, including offices and plants that offered it free to employees on site in school health clinics, officials have been reaching out to local health departments, health care providers, and corporations to arrange distribution. From now through October 31st, publicity campaigns will blast through social media, billboards, television, and radio. Okay. Because the shot will be more difficult to assess People are being told to get it as soon as possible. So as soon as you all out there in radio land, podcast land, as soon as you hear about it, go get it. So all these systems, Kaiser Permanente is, you know, shoring up. Walgreens will be hosting additional off-flu flu vaccine sites, CVS. Look out for those. In New York City, which averages about 2,000 flu-related deaths a year, the health department has been reaching out to hundreds of independent pharmacies to administer, administer the shots because they're often located in outer borough neighborhoods where the coronavirus has been ramping. Mm. So you want to go take it to where the coronavirus is. Skepticism to this vaccine runs high, particularly in communities of color. And that was one thing that was being discussed this morning on CNN. And I can comment on that a little bit. Some of these uh, clinical trials, Mm-hmm. Well, the vaccine have had to be put on halt because they can't find enough minority people to participate in the clinical trials. And unfortunately, it's a monster that's been created, as I say, by the government anyway, because people haven't forgotten Tuskegee. Right. You know, they mm-hmm. haven't forgotten the eugenic situation in North Carolina. They haven't forgotten, you know, experimentation on prisoners and those kinds of things. So it's going to be a tough sale for primarily black and brown people. I African Americans were more likely to report barriers to vaccination, were more hesitant about vaccines, to believe in conspiracy theories and use naturalism as an alternative to get vaccinated, which just is not going to work. So lastly, although the flu shot confers immunity at all ages over six months, it can be less complete in people over 65. Depending on many factors, the shot's effectiveness for people over 65 in a given year can range from only 40 to 60 percent. That's not good odds. In people over 65, it may only be 40 to 60 percent effective. Okay. So a lot of people will say, you know, I can't take the flu shot for this, that, and the other. But a lot of organizations are making you sign, and they are saying there are very few if any reasons why you shouldn't be able to take the flu shot. Okay. So, you know, there you have it. The basic premise of the article was that we're looking at a twindemic, not just coronavirus, but influenza. So at least the least people can do is to get a flu vaccine. That's it. That's the least you can do. And it starts. When, when That's the least. I know. When does it open up? The flu shot should be out sometime mid-October. Okay. So we just got to tell people, look, get your flu shot this year. Don't be not getting it. Right. This is not the year to not do your flu shot. (laughs) No. No. Well, keep us informed, my sister. Thank you. I will. I definitely will. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Vicki Haywood-Doe. 
I just wanted to break in for a quick second and introduce to you the sponsor and creator of this show. It's the company I own, Haywood Doe Consulting Co., doing business as Vicky Doe Fitness. We are a health and wellness consulting company that specializes in designing and implementing medically integrated applied exercise physiology-based fitness wellness programs, initiatives, events, health promotion, and health education for special populations such as older folks, children, adolescents, overweight and obese individuals, cardiac rehab, women's health, and those who have chronic diseases. We have a team and network of healthcare professionals based out of Northeast Ohio, and we've worked with many companies, schools, churches, and organizations. If your goal is to transform your life by taking a holistic approach to living a life of health and total well-being, get in touch with us at info at To find out more about our own site and online programs and services, go to vikidofitness.com. And now back to the show. Well, today we talk about research articles and hot topics that we think are worth looking at and talking about. And our topic today is what's new? Hot topics number 57. These are two articles that I'm going to talk back to back because they're very short, but it's talking about Uh the importance of sleep and how that we can get good sleep and what we can do. And so the first article says sleep tight on a healthy diet. And this was written in idea fit. And the question is asked, could certain carbs keep you tossing and turning at night? It says for a good night's rest, keep the smartphone out of the bedroom and refine carbs off your dinner table. Researchers analyzed information from food diaries kept by more than 53,000 older women involved in the ongoing Women's Health Initiative observational study. The scientists found that women who ate large amounts of high glycemic refined carbohydrates like white pasta and sugary desserts were more likely to develop insomnia. The findings reported in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition showed that consuming more whole grains, fiber, vegetables, and whole fat was associated with fewer insomnia problems. When blood sugar is raised quickly by eating highly processed carbs, there's a subsequent insulin-induced drop in blood sugar. That can lead to the release of stress hormones such as cortisol, which may interfere with a good snooze. So, yeah, we got to we got to think about things that we eat, especially before we go to bed or during the day. Who knew knew? (laughs) that affect your that affect your sleep. Right. And so the next the next article It's really piggybacking on this. And it says bad sleep and bad diet. And this is written in Idea Fit. And it says poor sleep quality may lead to poor eating habits. It's a worrisome equation. Below par sleep habits can trigger below par food choices And the two together can equal a higher risk for conditions like heart disease and obesity. And it suggests suggests a report in the Journal of the American Heart Association. Now, researchers from Columbia University, um, Irving Medical Center in New York, analyzed the sleep and eating habits of an ethnically diverse group of 495 women ages 20 to 76, and found that those who had worse sleep quality overall, including taking longer to fall asleep, consume more added sugars, had higher daily calorie intake, and ate more food by weight. One hypothesis is that poor 
sleep quality may lead to poor eating habits by stimulating hunger signals or suppressing bodily signals of fullness. In a vicious cycle, it would be that an unhealthy diet turns around to contribute to a night accounting sheep. This drives home the necessity of including guidance on good sleep hygiene as part and an overall wellness program. So what do you think, Dee? I think it's all good. We forget about the aspect of sleep, our sleeping and nutrition. And, you know, the, you, you mentioned that thing about cortisol. Didn't you mention cortisol? Yes. That's one of the things that people talk about, people not being able to lose weight. Yeah. They have a restless night because of that cortisol surge. Yes, the stress hormone. Yes, yes. It, right, mm-hmm. right. It interferes with a good snooze. It causes you to to keep on weight and gain weight, not to mm-hmm. be able to mm-hmm. lose weight like you want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a stress hormone. Yeah, exactly. So back to. Oh, no, those are good. Those are great. Yeah, back to watching what we eat. Absolutely. So, D. Today, I wanted to just talk, since a lot of parents are bringing their kids reluctantly, probably many of them reluctantly, back to school, New York Times had an article on managing pandemic health risks on college campuses. And we see now where a lot of these schools have gone into session. And, you know, we were all young once. We all went to school. We all went to colleges. And we understand it. But they're not getting it. Some schools have only been open for two weeks and they've closed already. So college life was designed around community and togetherness. We get that. Now we're attempting to retrofit it for the opposite with physical distancing, fewer people, and the elimination of most in-person gatherings. So the final days of summer offer an opportunity for incoming students and their families to prepare for a semester anchored by public health principles. As an infectious disease expert, the person who wrote this article, Preeti Malinani, chief health officer for the University of Michigan, she says she spent the four past four months deeply involved in planning efforts to bring thousands of young people back to a campus as safely as possible. And she, you know, mentioned how she talked to a lot of public health officials and student service colleagues and so forth to try to make sure that this was a seamless transition from home to school. Since the number of people who can assist with the actual move-in process and the time allotted for unloading will be limited at most schools, pack efficiently and take care of longer goodbyes ahead of time. Once students are on campus, non-essential travel, meaning out of state, will be discouraged. Most schools have canceled fall breaks will wrap up in-person learning around Thanksgiving with any remainder of the semester completed remotely. Parent and family weekends are among the many events that won't happen. This is so sad. I know. With limitations on in-person visits, students should plan on alternative ways to stay connected, create a schedule for regular video chat check-in to provide support. Students living in residence hall can expect limits on movement to connecting halls, Use of common areas and guests, you know that's going to be shut down. I know. Because of the need to maintain physical distance, most students will spend a lot of time in their room, especially if libraries and other gatherings are closed. Your room will be your home and the place you study, eat, sleep, and attend virtually, class virtually. Think carefully about what you need to be comfortable and productive with, but resist bringing a lot of stuff. You will appreciate the extra space and packing up will be easier whenever you leave. If you have a roommate, the circumstances of this semester present unique pressures. I bet there's going to be a lot of fighting. Oh, big time. You will spend far more time in your room than ever before, and you are each vulnerable to the risk the other takes, so you need to have an honest conversation to set expectations and boundaries. Open communication, respect, kindness, and patience go a long way. Although policies may vary, Face coverings will be part of your uniform anytime you leave your room, and face coverings provide protection only if worn correctly. So try different types of cloth masks to find one that fits. You should be able to talk and move around without the mask requiring further adjustment. Eating on the run. Campus dining halls will continue to offer meals, but dining options will be limited and may require reservations. Mm. The alternative will be takeout. It's because of capacity limits and a screening process for entry, getting food may require more time. Students should have some shelf-stackable snacks 
And I bet the cost of ramen noodles is going to go up. Ramen noodles. Big time. But yes, big time. (laughs) Students should have shelf-stable snacks and meals that can can be prepared with minimal equipment. Also, instant oatmeal, canned fruits, dried fruits, peanut butter crackers, and so forth. A refrigerated microwave will help. Classes with large introductory classes. This is for you, Vicki. Mm-hmm. With large introductory classes being fully remote on most campuses, in-person learning will likely be limited to small groups and activities that cannot be done remotely, such as science labs, studio work, mm-hmm. and performance programs. Mm-hmm. There you go. Yep. Explore opportunities to get extra help for classwork via office hours, review sessions, and tutoring resources, all of which may be done virtually. Successful remote learning means having the right technology and ensuring stable access to broadband. Many schools have laptop programs and other ways to support students who don't have equipment. Staying healthy. Investigate the local health resources and have a plan for what to do if you develop symptoms that are suggested with COVID. Large institutions are more likely to have a full-service health center, while smaller schools might have long-standing relationships with healthcare providers in the community. With more than 6,600 cases of coronavirus already linked to colleges by the end of July, many campus health centers have gained considerable experience managing infections and are well-positioned to provide compassionate, student-focused care for mild to moderate illness. Most colleges have designed living space for students who are ill or require quarantine. If home is within a few hours and a student can safely travel by car, this is a good option. So really, lastly, COVID health kits should include a functional thermometer and basic over-the-counter medications, acetaminophen, cough drops, cough suppressants, hand sanitizer, disinfectant wipes, fingertip pulse oximeters, which I've encouraged everyone to get one of those, Mm -hmm. myself, Mm -hmm. which are growing in popularity, can be used to measure blood oxygen levels should symptoms of COVID develop. This type of monitoring can be an early warning sign Mm -hmm. before a patient has difficulty breathing, that urgent medical evaluation is necessary. And get a flu shot. It's going to be important, as we just said. Flu vaccine, my bad, is going to be available starting in September. Okay, September. You know, with going on campuses and so forth, we talked about what to do. And there's some things that people forget, some of the mental health things that are going to occur to make sure that, you know, you look out for your buddy, your your fellow student to make sure that the, the quarantining can have a, a major impact on your mental health. Take care of yourself, make good decisions, get enough sleep. And, you know, quarantining and some of these things lend themselves to drugs, alcohol, yes. increased sexual activity, all of which you can imagine. It promotes more of that, especially going to be cooped up together. I know. All of which pose health concerns during normal times and can increase during the COVID risk. And again, you see pictures of people with parties. you got to realize, you know, a lot of these kids feel, well, I'm going to miss out on sororities and fraternities. And I think a lot of these things are going to be changed, you will find, going back to school. So a successful fall semester requires a social contract of sorts since your behavior affects everyone around you as well as everyone they are exposed to. Ultimately, behavior not the academic calendar, will determine how long the semester lasts. That's this it. is from Dr. Preeti Milani, Chief Health Officer and Professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Michigan. Well, there it is, and, and we shall see, because I'll keep you up on date on, on what we're doing at Kent State University, that's for sure. Yes, yes, you all are on the, on the cutting edge of what, I mean, what Kent State and what, what Kent State and what Ohio State do, so does the rest of Ohio. That's exactly it. So they've already started, like we said, they've already started where, you know, we're on campus and then once we leave for Thanksgiving break, after that everything is remote to finish out the semester. Yeah. All right. Not gonna be any coming back and forth. No coming back and forth. Yes, exactly. I just briefly want to mention this obesity article, and it's something that we started to observe here in our city. When we started to look back on not just uh, race and ethnic identity, we started to look at just in our own little group of 
people here in town, what were the common factors that people with COVID had? Because, you know, you heard COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, you heard diabetes, you heard hypertension. And so we did a, our own little survey of about maybe 50 patients. Okay. And the, the continuing thread through all of them was obesity. So the coronavirus has been an unpredictable foe from the start. It triggers silence or barely susceptible infections in some individuals, while in others it sets off a cascade of complications that overwhelm the body and lead to death. Why some patients fail through the disease and others are failed by it is a question that has bedeviled doctors. Older age and chronic health conditions like high blood pressure, heart disease are known to increase the risk. The CDC, however, lists extreme obesity as high risk. But is excess weight in and of itself to blame, or are all of the health problems that accompany obesity, like metabolic disorders and breathing problems? A new study points to obesity itself as culprit. An analysis of thousands of patients treated at Southern Cal Health System identified extreme obesity as an independent risk factor for dying among COVID-19 patients, most strikingly among younger and middle-aged adults 60 and over, and among men, among women with the illness, body mass index, which is a measure of body fat based on height and weight, does not appear to be independently associated with an increased risk of dying at any age, the author said, possibly because women carry weight differently than men who tend to have more visceral and abdominal fat. Body mass index is really an important, strong, independent risk factor for death among those who are diagnosed with COVID, said Sarah Tartoff, the study's first author, a research scientist from Kaiser Permanente in Southern California. But the impact is not uniform across the population. You don't really see it for the older ages, and we didn't see it as important for females at any age. Obesity and the coronavirus are a dangerous combination. Obesity causes restricted breathing making it more difficult to clear pneumonia and other respiratory infections. Fat is biologically active, like we were saying, mm-hmm. and a source of pro-inflammatory chemicals, promoting a state of chronic inflammation in the body, even before COVID sets in. Obesity causes metabolic... You know, we talked about that with the metabolic syndrome, right? Right, right. Obesity causes metabolic changes and abnormalities, even in the absence of diabetes. Mm -hmm. The study is not the first to finger obesity associated with COVID-19 in younger people. While early reports in China and Italy didn't focus on obesity as an independent risk factor, physicians in other parts of the world where obesity is more prevalent were quick to note that younger individuals who became ill, were obese. Only 6% of the Chinese population is obese. Let that sink in. I know. 6% compared with 20% of the population in Italy, 24% in Spain. How much do you think it is in the United States? It's high. (laughs) 42% of American adults have a body mass index of 30 or more, Mm -hmm. which classifies them as obese. And 9% have a BMI of 40 or more. That's someone who's 5 feet 9 inch tall and weighs 270 pounds or more or more has a BMI of 40. As an individual of that height of 304 pounds has a BMI of 45. Normal weight ranges for the BMI of 18.5 to 24.9. People with BMIs of 25 to 29.9 are considered overweight. Mm-hmm. Now, there's all kind of controversy about these BMIs that I'm sure you right. get into about, right. you know, right. that a, a person breaking it down between race, color, ethnicity, and all those things that have been discussed. And then muscle, you know, but, muscle mass. But, and yeah. muscle, exactly, exactly. A report issued by Public Health England concluded that being overweight or obese increased the risk of complications and death from COVID. So there was hundreds of similar articles. Among them was a study last month at Columbia University published in the Annals of Internal Medicine, which is one of our two of our big Big time uh, journals, that and the New England Journal for Medicine, Mm -hmm. which found that individuals with COVID who were extremely obese were 60% more likely to acquire medical ventilation or to die from COVID. The study noted that this was also the case for people under the age of 65. Is it just that we in the United States have more obese people? So we're seeing this, that Dr. David Cass, a professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins, who wrote an editorial accompanying the study. 
But this is beyond the proportion that would just be in the general population, he said. It's not just that there are a lot of fat people. So we're seeing a lot of fat people who are sick. Dr. Cass wrote a letter in The Lancet in April noting that many younger COVID patients admitted to hospitals suffered obesity and predicting that as the coronavirus spread through areas where obesity was more prevalent, more younger people were affected. The disparate effect on men who are obese is also understandable, he said, because of the differences in fat distribution, which we said. If you take a man and a woman and put them side by side with the same BMI, the man is much more likely to have the background problems that we think are a component of being more at risk. To carry out the new study, researchers analyzed the records of over 6,000 patients who were members of Kaiser who were treated for COVID, both as inpatients and outpatients, from mid-February to May the 2nd. They got that article together fast. Big time. <laughs> the median age of patients was 49, and the BMI was 30.6. Nearly half were obese. In general, so what's the moral to the story? In general, obesity rates vary by race and ethnicity, mm-hmm. according to the CDC. The age-adjusted obesity rate among blacks is 49.6%, mm-hmm. compared with 45% among Hispanics, 42% with whites, and 17% among Asian Americans. Just over half of the Kaiser Permanente patients were Hispanic. About 1,000 were Asian, Asian Americans, and 584 were black. Many patients had underlying health problems that are linked to poor COVID outcomes. Some 206 or 3% of the patients died within 21 days of receiving the diagnosis. Mm. To figure out whether obesity in and of itself was associated with a higher death risk, researchers tried to factor out conditions like high blood pressure, and diabetes, which are known to be associated with more severe forms of COVID, as well as heart, kidney, and lung disease. The scientists also wanted to know whether demographic factors like age, sex, race, and ethnicity played a role. While Black and Latino populations have been disproportionately stricken by the virus with hospitalization and death at a higher rate, the study did not find race or ethnicity to be an independent risk factor. Mm. The researchers did find extreme obesity to be a strong independent risk factor for worse outcomes. Mm. We're not saying the disparities don't exist. We're teasing apart what's driving the disparities. So does that mean if you're obese and African-American, you have a double whammy? Big time. I think that's what that's that's the That's the moral. We see that racial and ethnic minorities have more bad outcomes. They are also more like, like I said, more More likely. likely to be obese. Yes. Or to have less access to health care, and they're more likely to have comorbidities. Among COVID-19 patients in the study, those with extreme obesity defined at a BMI of over 40 were at nearly three times greater risk of dying than those with a normal weight. Those with a BMI of 45 were more than four times more likely to die than a patient with a normal weight, with the risk most striking among men and those under 60. The study draws attention to the intersection of two major health concerns, Dr. Tartar said, underscoring the need for policies to tackle both. And lastly, he said, there's a lot of work we can do to better combat COVID and a lot we can do to improve our strategies on obesity as well. It is also an epidemic and something we need to pay attention to. And so, yeah, so we back to what we've been saying, you know, obesity in itself is an underlying cause to worry exactly. about. Yeah, to worry yep. about. Independent risk factors. Independent risk factors. So we definitely have to, in order to be safe and to at least lessen the severity of the disease and of course, to try not to get is to also think about exercising, eating right so that we can, you know, lose weight and definitely maintain our weight. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You know, no excuses. No excuses. Exactly. Well, D, this ends our show. So do you have some health tips for us to think about? Well, I like your health tips about, you know, the the exercise, the biking, the riding, wearing your helmet, being careful with that. I mean, we talk so much about COVID, but it's nice to talk about topics that are not necessarily with COVID. And we get that people want to get out and they have quarantine fatigue, but we're just asking that you do it as safely as possible. 
Definitely. And the first thing you can do is at least wear a helmet, right? At least wear a helmet. At least wear a helmet. That's it. And as always, for more information, go to our website, www.vickydofitness.com. And remember, if you have any questions, comments, or just something to say, tweet us, email us, go on Facebook, and share with us your thoughts. You've been listening to It's All About Health and Fitness with Dr. Vicki Hayward-Doe and Dr. Virginia Banks-Bright. Vicki Doe is owner of Vicki Doe Fitness, a multimedia health and wellness forum, a place to discuss, learn, and participate in healthy living. You can get in touch with Vicki by email at info at vickydoefitness.com.